This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. You can find it on page 867 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 9:28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning. My name is Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. Um, if you've ever watched reality TV, you know that one of the big and major reoccurring themes is the, uh, the big reveal, right? Whether it's a, a makeover show or a house renovation show or who's getting kicked off the island, right? There's almost always a big reveal at some point in the show, usually after a commercial break or, or after the fade out, whatever it is, wherever you're watching it. Um, But my favorite take on this trope is from the show Dating in the Dark. Uh, You probably don't remember the show uh, because, like, no one watched it. Uh, It was on for, like, a season or two. I don't even know why I remember the show. It just popped in my head this week. I asked my wife about it. I was like, do you remember that show? And she's like, no, no, I don't. So it is a real show, and I think we watched it together. But anyway, the whole premise of the show is that there are three men and three women who live in separate wings of a house, and they are unable to have any conversation or contact with each other unless they're in a dark room, like total darkness. Uh, and eventually, you know, there's, there's all this stuff that goes on. They have different dates in the dark and whatever. But it culminates with this visual reveal, um, big reveal, uh, where there's like a, they're in the dark room and all of a sudden a spotlight shines on the, on the, the other person. And, and then they can choose whether they want to continue going on dates with them or just kind of leave quietly without saying goodbye from what they, based on what they've seen. Great show. Um, Anyway, in Luke's gospel today, we have essentially have the biblical equivalent of the big reveal, like dating in the dark or whatever, or any other reality show you can think of. This section of Luke's gospel is like a sneak peek at what's going on behind the curtain. It's like the big reveal on a house makeover show where the light's being flipped on for these three apostles, Peter, James, and John. Right? In, the, in the gospel story of Luke, the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for a while. They've, 
by this point in the story, they've heard him teach, they've seen him do some miracles, but their relationship with him has been kind of in the dark. And today, the lights get flipped on for them. So let's look at this passage a little bit and dig into it and, and see what they see and what we can take away from it. Well, one of the clearest points of this passage, one of the clearest takeaways from the gospel reading today uh, is what the voice of the Father says. Listen to him. I love it when the Bible gives you really clear understanding about what the passage is about. It couldn't be any more clear. The point of this whole story is so that we listen to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, the Gospels tell us that we are to listen to him and to do what he says. If you're still trying to figure out who God is or what this whole Christianity thing's about, a great place to start is by listening to Jesus. Start with him. And also, there's this connotation of doing, right? It, actually, the word in the Old Testament for listen is the same as do right? or hear or obey, shema, right? Hear, listen, do. So listen and do is what we're called. Listen and follow. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because if we're honest, there are a lot of voices that we listen to, whether that's friends or family or just stuff going on in the world. Um, it's very easy to say, I love and follow Jesus. But do a quick, quick audit of your life here. I think all of us need this. But how many minutes a day do you actually spend listening to God, whether that's through prayer or through his word? So think about that on one hand. How many hours a day do you spend listening to God? And then how many days do you spend listening to everything else, whether that's podcasts or watching shows or scrolling through social media, right? I mean, if you listen to Joe Rogan regularly, that's three hours of your life. You're probably listening to Joe more than Jesus at that point. And now I'm speaking on my own experience here. I love podcasts. There are podcasts that I look forward to every week. There are shows that I love to watch, uh, and I make time for them. I say, all right, it's Wednesday. It's time to watch whatever is the latest Marvel thing that's on or whatever. Um, but being honest, I don't know if I think about listening to Jesus in that way. I don't think I, I have that much excitement. I'm not like, oh, it's Friday morning. I get to get up and pray. Or it's Sunday morning. I get to get out of bed and come to church. Right? I wish that was the case more. I want to be personally excited more by the Lord and the things of God more. And I could go on about well, the addictive nature in tech and our appetite for scandal or outrage, and I could blame everything on that. But the truth is, I don't think we have a clear enough picture of who our Lord is. I, I think our hearts are cold because we love many other things more than Jesus a lot of times. Just being totally transparent and honest. And maybe that's because we've been dating Jesus in the dark a little bit. I think and know what Jesus looks like, and I, and I think I know who Jesus is, but in reality, I don't have a clue. Um, picture Jesus for a second. What image pops in your mind? And now, I'm going to show some images here for, in a moment. These are all for illustration purposes. Uh, scripture's clear. We ought not to worship or bow down to images. But there's a lot of cultural representations of Jesus that we have. Uh, that sometimes I think take precedence to what the image that, that the scriptures show us about Jesus. So you might think of Jesus and you might think of blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. Or you might think of Jesus and you might think of vaguely Middle Eastern hippie Jesus. Or you might think of the buddy Christ from Dogma. Or you might think of uh, Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen, Chosen Jesus. 
Or when you think of Jesus, you might think of church art Jesus, right? Um, and the problem is, these are all Jesus made in our own image, our own conception of what we think Jesus ought to be like, or what culture tells us Jesus ought to be like. You probably don't think of this next one very often. That's frightening. Um, that's a, I found that on, online. It's just supposed to be a, uh, it's a visual representation of the, the, the symbolic vision that John has of Jesus in Revelation, which I'm about to read here in a second. But that's, that's scary, and I don't think that's probably your go-to when you think of Jesus. It's probably one of the other ones. Uh, but here, here's what John says. He sees Jesus, he sees a, a vision of the resurrected and ascended Christ. And John the Apostle says this in the book of Revelation. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's the vision that John sees of Jesus. And there's a lot of Old Testament echoes there as well. But that's a picture of Jesus in his power and his glory. And it's a, di- a glimpse of what the disciples got to see on this mountain that we read about in Luke's gospel. And it's a little frightening, but it's also pretty cool in a lot of ways. But too often, we are half asleep, like Peter, James, and John. And too often, we don't listen to Jesus because we've just tamed the mighty line of Judah to fit our own expectations and assumptions. We've tamed who Jesus is, maybe just some first century rabbi or kind of hippie Jesus or whatever it might be. Um, And we just don't feel like he's worth listening to, if we're honest. So let's back up a little bit and see what this, this section of Scripture tells us who Jesus really is so that we can see him and hear him clearly. So who is Jesus? That's one of the central questions of this passage. Well, Jesus first is full of glory. Um, in order to really understand what's going on here, we need to do some time travel. We need to back up about 1,500 years from before this event in Luke's gospel to another event in Israel's history, which was their exodus from Egypt and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And the reason we need to do that is because our section of Luke's gospel is littered with allusions and echoes and references almost on every verse to this event in Israel's history. So I'm going to read briefly from Exodus in chapter 19 um, about the Israelites going to the mountain of Sinai where they encounter God and are given the law. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Then jumping down to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people of the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot 
of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses to the, to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Sound familiar? Sound like what we just read from Luke's gospel? Right? God comes down to this mountain and speaks and gives Moses the law. And in our story today, Jesus went up on the mountain and brought his disciples with him. And he goes up there, Luke tells us, to pray. And it must have been kind of a long prayer session because the disciples fell asleep at some point. Um, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep while you prayed, ever. I have more often than I like to admit. Um, but, it, but take heart if that's you because here's the disciples doing it too. It's not abnormal. Um, but they go up on the, on the mountain to pray. And they fall asleep. And at some point during this marathon prayer session, something changes, right? All of a sudden, there's glory. There's divine radiance. There's this otherworldly glowing. There's this heaviness, this weightiness. And the curtain is pulled back, and we get a glimpse of everything that's going on. And the disciples see this, right? We read in Exodus that when God shows up in the Old Testament, things get a little wonky, Things get crazy. There's, there's clouds, there's smoke, there's fire, there's lightning, there's booming, there's fear, right? All this, this intensity. Um, and the same thing happens when Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray and brings his disciples. Right? The ESV says that, uh, this translation that we're using, says that Jesus' face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white, which kind of makes it sound like he just found some tide and uh, started doing his wash. But the, the Greek word, right, the, the word in its original language, this, dazzling, it actually, this word for dazzling white actually means his clothes were like a flash of lightning. Have you ever looked at lightning? It kind of hurts, right? It's really bright. It's startling. It's a little scary. And that's what's going on here. All of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured. That's what this is called, the transfiguration. Jesus is transfigured. His clothes have changed, his face is altered, there's glory and power. God has shown up on this mountain. That's what Luke's trying to say. Remember how, how freaky and trippy things get when God shows up in the Hebrew Scriptures? Yes, the same thing is happening here. But this time, he's showing up in the form of a man. And he's been with you the whole time, disciples. Luke is making a direct connection to Israel's experience on Mount Sinai. This is like Mount Sinai 2. This is like Mount Sinai, the sequel. That's the point. Jesus is not just some good rabbi or a good yogi or guru. He's not happy, gentle, hippie Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He is full of glory and power. He is the creator of all reality. Everyone's perception of Jesus, including our own, is wrong, then, is what Luke's saying. Right? Up until this point in Luke's gospel, there's been a question. Who is Jesus? That was the question that Jesus, Jesus asked his disciples even uh, a few weeks ago in the passage that Pastor Brian looked at. And in that passage, Peter said, you are the Christ of God, and he's right. But Jesus was more than just the anointed king who'd come to rescue God's people. He was and is Wherever shall be, forever shall be God Himself. 
In other words, this Jesus is worth following because he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a man. He's not just a rabbi. Right? He's not just a, a nice guy. He's worth following because he is God. That's the claim that the church has made for 2,000 years. Uh, and the resurrected and ascended Jesus is more like this, what we see here, and more like the vision of Revelation than any show we watch or picture we draw can do justice. That's why you should listen to Jesus. That's why he's worthy of worship. He is beyond your understanding and your imagining. He is full of glory and power. He is the same Lord that rescued Israel from slavery thousands of years ago. He's the same God who led them through the wilderness. He is the same God through whom the world was made. We follow Jesus because he's God. And the Bible won't let you say anything about, else about him except that. But that's not the only thing happening here. Right? Jesus shining in this divide radiance is a big enough deal, but then there's also these two other guys that have shown up on this mountain that didn't come up with them. Right? Moses and Elijah uh, have been dead and gone for a long time. Moses died a thousand years before this event, uh, Elijah was taken up into heaven almost 500 years or so before this. Uh, but all of a sudden, they're appearing in glory as well. You might be asking, well, who are these guys? Why are they here? Well, Moses was considered to be the greatest rabbi of all time. Uh, he was the man through whom God delivered Israel from 400 years of slavery. Uh, he was the man who met Mount God, on, God on Mount Sinai, St. Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right, the Torah, uh, he is the one whom God spoke face-to-face -face with as a man speaks with his friend. That's who Moses is. He's the greatest representative of the law of God. And then you have Elijah, who was uh, considered the greatest of the prophets. And he didn't die, but ascended into heaven. He was taken up into heaven. And he was zealous for God and worked and preached against the false gods and idols that Israel was worshiping. Um, so appearing along with Jesus in this glory are two representatives of the law and the prophets. In other words, what Luke's trying to say, and what is Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples here, is that the entire Old Testament witness and history of God's people um, is fulfilled in Jesus. Right? Jesus is the same God that Moses and Elijah worshipped when they were living on earth. Now, in the middle of all this, the disciples wake up and they're like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, we get into some wild mushrooms? Are we dreaming? Do we get some bad food? What, what's going on? Jesus, you want me to build some tents for you guys? Right? They're so confused. They are so shocked. They're not sure what to do. Uh, they're not sure what to say. They, in fact, they're so freaked out that Luke tells us that they say nothing about what they've seen when they go down the mountaintop. That's, this comes out much later in their lifetime. It's because they probably couldn't begin to explain it. And so their disciples wake up and they see this and they're kind of freaking out. And then all of a sudden this cloud descends on the mountain. Remember, that's what we read about in Exodus. And this time, instead of giving the law that the people should follow, the voice says, this is my son. This is the voice of God the Father. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, James, and John, disciples, all of the law and prophets point to Jesus. You've been rightly listening to Moses and Elijah, but now it's time to listen to the Son. He's the chosen one. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one that's going to fulfill everything that's been told to your ancestors. He's the one Moses 
and Elijah have been waiting for. Now, if you've been at, in church at any length of time, this probably checks out. You've probably heard something like that. You're like, yeah, that's, that's right. That makes sense. Pretty standard fare. But for a first century Jew, this would have been incredible. Because for many of them, the law and the prophets were the ultimate revelation. There was no other revelation. This was it. Um, they, they weren't waiting for anything else except the Messiah to bring uh, everything to an end and to rescue them. But this was it. But Jesus says, and God says, no, 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 listen to the Son. Listen to Jesus because all of this up until now has been pointing to him. Uh, and Jesus will even say this in Luke chapter 24, uh, in verses 44 and 45. Jesus, after the resurrection, appears to his disciples and he says, um, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All, right? Moses, prophets, Psalms, that's all. That's a code word for the Old Testament. And so Jesus is saying, whenever you read the scriptures, whenever you're looking for me, look for me, listen to me on every page of your Bible. Look for Christ on every page of the Bible because it's ultimately all about him. And that's what the whole thing was all about for thousands of years before this event. And then there's that really interesting phrase in verse 31. I skipped over it, but um, Luke writes that Moses and Elijah spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Uh, that's a really weird phrase. It's not even really good English, right? Spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That's what? Um, but it makes a lot more sense when you look at it in the original language. That's the translation of it, and it's technically correct, but it's, it's not really a great translation of it. Because in the original language, what it says is they spoke of his, and the word for departure in Greek is exodus, right? They spoke of his exodus, which he was about to fulfill and complete in Jerusalem. Now, that's fascinating, because that word for ancient Jews, and for us today, has incredible significance, right? I quoted from the book of Exodus earlier. And what's the book of Exodus about? Well, it's about Israel's exodus from slavery of Egypt. It's about God's rescue of them from 400 years of slavery and their formation as a people. Uh, we just celebrated Independence Day in this country. Uh, we commemorate the signing of the Declaration of Independence, right, for that, among other things, fireworks and hot dogs and beer. Uh, but Exodus and the Passover ceremony that accompanied it was the ancient Israeli independence story and celebration. So this word is not just being thrown around lightly. Right? Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about the, a greater exodus to come, another exodus to come. And what is that exodus then that Jesus is about to accomplish at Jerusalem? Well, you keep reading Luke's gospel, and every gospel actually, they, they end with his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And what the New Testament writers want us to know is that this second exodus is accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. And through this, he not just rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt, he rescues all of humanity and sets us free from sin and death. That's the main message of the New Testament. That's what this story is talking about. 
Um, the Bible tells us, and I think you just have to read the news to see this as well, that you and I are not free. We might feel like we're free, but we're not free. Our ultimate problem is not just bad things around us or taxes or whatever it might be, uh, injustice. The problem is humanity. It's us. We are all enslaved to sin and death, and our world is a reflection of that. Every system, every government, every person is infected, the scriptures tell us, with sin and death. Every cute little baby born into the world is at heart, a sinner and capable of heinous evil given the right circumstances. Every terrible thing you read about is a result of this brokenness. It's all around us. We're all infected with it. And we need someone to save us from ourselves. And that's what Luke is pointing toward here. We need another exodus. We need uh, someone who, to come and set us free. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who came to set captives free. Jesus came to set us free from whatever shackles and sins that are enslaving you. That is the promise. That is the claim. That is the hope. Right? He's not just a rabbi with good teaching who can do a few magic tricks and said some nice things. Jesus is the creator who, seeing the brokenness of creation, decided to get his hands dirty and rescue us. He's the playwright who struggling with the premise of his play and the problem of the play, writes himself into the story in order to fix it. He is full of glory, but went through hell to get there. He died the death that our sins deserve. His cross was meant for us. Each of us in God's eyes should be hanging up like the Lord did on that hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But, John, the gospel writer, tells us in John 3, 16, 17, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have eternal life. Have life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The promise of the gospel is that in Christ, your sins are forgiven. That you've been bought with a price, that God laid his life down for you, that God is ultimately for you, and he wants to give you life. Jesus was the only son of God, the chosen one who came down to rescue us. He's the one who came to set us free from all of the stupid and terrible stuff we've done. Uh, He's the one who died the death that your sins deserve. Uh, He's the one that wants to give you life, and that's why you can listen to him. That's why you can trust him. He, he, he won't lead you astray. He didn't come to give you death. He came to give you life. And he's the only one who can. That's why Peter will say in the Gospels, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's what this transfigure is, transfiguration is really about. To show the disciples and us through their recounting what was really going on. 2,000 years ago. Too often our vision is clouded. Our ears are busy listening to all the wrong things. And our story today is eyewitness testimony from the apostles saying, remember and look at who he really is. That's why we can make these claims. And that is an encouragement for us to, even this week, to reorient our minds and our hearts 
and our ears to Christ, right? If that's you, if you feel like your vision's been clouded, if you feel like you've just been screwing up left and right, uh, if you feel like your heart has been cold, let this be your wake-up call, right? Do some reorienting and recalibrating in your life. What are you looking for? What are you longing for? What voices are you really listening to? Today, Jesus offers you a way forward. Today, he offers you again a clean slate. Today, he offers you life and life eternal. Listen to him. That's all it takes. Just be able to listen to him and to say, yes, Jesus, you are the son, the chosen one, the one who can do this. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear his son. Let's pray. Almighty Lord Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is full of glory, the God who rescued your people from slavery in Egypt and rescued us from sin and even death, the final enemy. Lord, we confess that our vision is clouded, our hearts are cold, Lord, too often uh, we turn to all sorts of other things and away from you. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would awaken our minds and our hearts and our ears, open our ears to hear you and to repent of sin and once again trust you for all the good things you've done because you're good for it and you are God. You are worthy of all honor and worship and glory. Help us to do this and to love you and to love our neighbors in response. We pray in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.